0: Let's open up now to Matthew 13, Matthew 13, Austin, can you bring me down just a hair? Thanks, brother. We are uh, finishing up this little mini-series that we've been doing on the parable of the soils, Jesus teaching on different conditions of the heart uh, by using this parable, this analogy, this metaphor of soils and seed being sown in it. Uh, all representative of the way that God's work, God's Word excuse me, does or does not work in us according to the condition of our own hearts. So we've been in this for four weeks. If you missed the previous messages, they're all pretty connected, so there's a lot of background information uh, that'll be missing from today's sermon that you might want to get. You can always go to iTunes or our website and get the previous week's messages. So we'll read the whole passage, verses 1 through 23. And really, we'll just be teaching on the the 23rd verse this morning, the final one. Uh, But let's just read the entire passage that we've been talking about for the last four weeks. So I will be reading and teaching from the New Living Translation. Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into the boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the, shallow was, the soil was shallow, Excuse me, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills a prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so they cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear i tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. When the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your teaching, your instruction that we find in your word today, your revelation. Even your warnings that we see here, Lord, about the conditions of our hearts and stewarding our hearts and hearing and seeing what it is you're trying to communicate to us. And thank you, Jesus, for your desire to heal us as we turn to you. Would this house today be a house of healing? Would you, by grace, grant us hearts that are quick to turn to you, quick to listen, eager to see? Determined to press into you and your love, your grace, and your mercy. And would we experience in our turning to you today healing? And would you give us the grace to stand in this life and the unction by the Holy Spirit to follow you faithfully, to obey you in a determined way to live for your glory and not for our own. And in these things, may we find true healing and true life. Please, God, grant us blessed hearts that are receptive, good soil that truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest, 30, 60, even may we all be hundredfold Christians in the fruit that we bear for your glory by the work of the Holy Spirit. Please help me now, Lord, to teach and preach. Well, long passage, there's a whole lot there. As I said, we're four weeks into the little series, but we've already talked about these four conditions of the hearts. It's important to remember that it's not as though you just have one of these all the time and you're just kind of like, well, I was born with a shallow heart. I'll always have a shallow heart or I'm just a hard heart guy. That'll always be me. But there's these different heart conditions that we find in the ebb and flow of life and the work of the Holy Spirit. We kind of meander and move through these. We certainly always want to be heading Toward the good heart. But sometimes we find that we have that crowded, thorny heart. The cares of this life come and choke out our obedience to God's word and, and our, our, our pursuit of other things kind of choke down our pursuit of God. Sometimes we find that we have these shallow, stony hearts and we haven't done good sort of like stone removal from our soil and we've let these hard places develop and calcify and, and, and get harder and so these roots aren't able to go down deep into God's word and get us into that place where we might flourish. So maybe as we've been moving through these series, you've been able to identify like, oh yeah, I was there once, or gosh, I'm kind of there, and I need to do some stone remover. I need to break up some hard ground. Or maybe you found, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. There is some good soil in my heart. That picture of good soil is representative of my heart. And praise God for that. That's where we want to be. That is where we want to live. We want to be the picture of soft, receptive hearts. The imagery here, or rather the language that's given about this heart, is that it hears and understands the message about the kingdom. Or more broadly, it hears and understands God's word. Hears and understands. So the roots go down deep. And the tree or the plant, whatever metaphor you're using, begins to grow freely so that there is in our lives the bearing of fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Just go for 100, okay? Just go for 100. 100 100-fold fruit in our lives. A seed planted of God's truth, God's word, and all this fruit coming forth from our lives. This is a heart that hears and understands. So what does it mean? What is Jesus referring to when he says, this heart hears and understands? He's not talking about cognitive ability. He's not talking about being smart enough. He's not talking about having taken some prerequisites to doctrine and theology and Bible, and so now you get it, and so you're gonna bear fruit. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about cognitive ability. Rather, he's talking about intentionality, intentionality, As we saw in those middle verses, kind of verse 13 through 15, there's some intentionality here. When he talks about the people with hard hearts, it says they've closed their eyes. They've shut their ears. They are choosing not to hear, and so their hearts are dull. And notice that the invitation in verse 9 is for everybody. Anyone with ears should hear and listen and understand. Anybody with ears it's not about cognitive ability. It's a broad invitation for us to approach God's truth, the message of the kingdom, and Jesus as the Savior of the world with intentionality. This heart is one of intention and desire. The picture of this heart is that it wants to hear God's truth and it wants to obey God's truth. It wants to hear, receive, read God's truth, and it wants to obey. And this heart wants to live a fruitful life, bear fruit for God's glory. It's about intention and desire. It wants to hear. It also wants to obey. It wants to live for God's glory. Now, sit on that for a moment. Because if you're a Christian, there's at least a part of you that agrees like, yeah, I, 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 I should want that. Like I should want to obey God's word and live for God's glory. But there might be some dissonance in your heart about that. There might be some tension about that. Some of us that are honest, we might be sitting here today and say, yeah, I agree with that in theory. But I don't find that to really be the way that I feel. Probably wouldn't that readily admit that, but I gosh, I don't, I don't always want to obey God's word. And that's not even like, maybe that's not even like a primary concern in your life. Do you know that ought to be a primary concern for the Christian? Like in the ordering of one's lives and thought processes and emotions and values, obeying God's truth ought to be like up at the top of the list. And consonant with that, living for God's glory. So we should have that intention and that desire, but I think if we're honest, we would say, gosh, I don't always have that desire. Now, if you hear that and agree with that, I should want to obey, I should want to live for God's glory. But you find yourself saying, I honestly don't feel that way. And that takes some real honesty. The fact that you feel a little bit of tension in that, the fact that there's some dissonance there, is some proof that there's also some good soil there in your heart, okay? Because what that is is receptivity, right? The hard heart hears that and just is like, that's stupid, right? And we learned about the shallow heart. The shallow heart goes, yes, and amen, but then nothing ever happens. There's no roots, just withers, the thorny heart also goes, yeah, 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 that's right, and they go after it, but then they go, oh, but look at all those things I want to go after, and oh, there's too much to deal with. But the fact that you might be sitting here today saying, you know what, yeah, I, gosh, I want to want that is a sign that there's some good soil. And I want to try to pull you out of a place of shame maybe if you're feeling it today of of not wanting that. I think that's sort of a common experience for a lot of us. How many of you have ever read A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God? Raise your hand. Oh, that's a good little chunk of you. Good. Uh, Everybody should read that book. It's the first Christian book that I ever read. Someone gave it to me and said, what I'm saying to you now, you should read this book. But it's profoundly impacted my life. I've read it several times since then. Uh, Everything by A.W. Tozer is wonderful. But he prayed this prayer at the end of the first chapter. I've never forgotten the the substance of this prayer. In fact, I know that it's on either page 19 or page 23, depending on which printing of the book you have. That's how much this has impacted me. And it was... uh, Oh gosh, I'm old. It was uh, 22 years ago that, that I first read that book. But listen to what he says about this, this, this dissonance that we might be feeling today. I, I printed out the prayer this morning. He says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscience, conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I've wandered so long. The part that always stuck with me was where he prayed that honest prayer. I want to want you more. I want to want you more. Lord, just help me to want you more. You know what that's a picture? That's a picture of good soil. That's good soil there. Good, honest earth that agrees with the truth and then is receptive to it and presses into it. Remember God's purpose is not to condemn us or to separate us out and say okay there's all the shallow-hearted guys and here's all the thorny-hearted guys but here's my few good ones it's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to draw us into his truth that we might be healed. What did he say in verse 15? At the end of it he said the goal was that people would turn to him and be healed. And in how many ways do we need to be healed? In the love of Christ. This heart is God-word oriented and continually so. And it acknowledges the ups and the downs of life. So sometimes there's, there's, there's like step backs and sometimes there's failures and falters. And so this heart is willing to repent and to re- continually repent and to confess and always move God-word. And what Jesus says about this heart in verse 16 is that this heart is Blessed. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And this blessing is one of receptivity. That's what it means to have a good heart in this sense or fertile soil in the heart, an open and receptive heart to God's truth as opposed to those other conditions, crowded, thorny, shallow, stony, or hard. And you know, we've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks, like, Life is just going to kind of be that way sometimes, right? We talked about how we get a hard heart because sometimes our hearts are too frequently traveled and trampled by untruth, by our own rebellion, by pain that we experience in this life. Life can get really thorny because there are lots of distractions, right? There are lots of worries. There's other things that we want. And we kind of collect these stones, Sometimes, right, they begin to choke out the words. So that's just the stuff of life. But as we've been talking about, the goal of the Christian is to steward his or her heart well through life. That's a continual work in which we're partnered with the Holy Spirit. Remember that in new birth, we are given new hearts That is to say, when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the world who died on the cross, gave himself for us, rose from the dead, that we might have the forgiveness of sins and new life. When we put our faith in him and his work, we're born again, we're made new creations. And part of that new creation is we have new hearts, right? Hearts that are soft and receptive to God. Look at the language and the promise of the new covenant from the uh, the prophet Ezekiel. God says, I will give you a new heart and put my spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, meaning soft and supple to the work of God. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws as it says in the New Testament in Romans chapter 6, what happens in new creation when we're given this new heart is that we in some way die to the power of sin and become alive to God. Our hearts are no longer ruled by the power of sin, but now ruled by the love of God. We're alive to God. New creation, new heart, but life is hard. Sin is real, and the devil is real. And as long as we're in this world, we're going to have to deal with the old sin nature. And it always trying to rear its ugly head. And so we have to battle for and steward our hearts. We've looked at this verse a few times, but it bears a second look or third or fourth or whatever it is. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. This is speaking to the Christian. Turning you away from the living God. Pause right there. Remember I'm saying that the good heart is God word. It's turning to God to receive healing. Verse 13. You must warn each other every day. While it's still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Right? This is the stewardship of the heart. Protecting our new soft supple hearts to God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believe, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. So that exhortation, that warning to steward this new heart that we've been given by God, which is a gift. And Proverbs, we looked at this last week or the week before, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Remember, Jesus talks about that in a few chapters when he says, That which comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So the heart is this place of the seat of the emotions and the will, and so the actions, and so the scriptures are telling us to guard it. A stewarding that is intentional and receptive and Godward. I think part of what this means in our lives is inviting God's work, the work of God's spirit into those thorny places that we talked about last week, into those stony places that we talked about the week before, into those hard places that we talked about the week before that. Inviting Jesus into those, directing our lives toward him rather than being self-oriented, self-reliant, self-glorifying. Look at what Jeremiah said. This is a resonant passage with this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, that can include ourselves, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert, right? Here's the same sort of imagery metaphor of plants growing. With no hope for the future, they will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. Stop right there for a moment. Man, does life ever feel that way to you? like the wilderness, the uninhabited salty land. That's the place where we find ourselves sometimes when we don't steward our hearts Godward, but rather selfward. It's so weird because sin and the enemy in our own human intellect tells us, if I just work harder to please myself, I will be happier. But then we discover that isn't True. That living me-wordly yields this salty, dry, stunted place, the wilderness. But when we turn Godward and realize if I live less, less for myself and more for him, and that we finally find, as we talked about last week, true satisfaction. Look how that life is pictured here. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank, with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives." So it's this action of always bringing our hearts before God because life is going to have scorched places, hot places, dry places, difficult places. But stewarding, stewarding, excuse me, that heart back toward God to bear fruit in all seasons. Now, what does Jesus mean by bearing fruit here? What do we mean when we say a fruit or harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold? Fruit generally in the terms of Scripture and especially in the terms of the New Testament is the reference to the transformation of the Christian, the transformed life of the Christian who has encountered God's truth. It is the outward evidence of this inward work of grace. Think about what you don't see with a tree that bears fruit. You don't see the roots that go down in there. You don't see the nutrients it's observing. Observing, um, What am I looking for? Thank you. You guys are good. I love you guys. Absorbing. You don't necessarily see the water source that it's absorbing. You don't uh, really, you can't observe the process of photosynthesis But all of this is going on. What you do see is the fruit that comes later. And that's how you know that there's this unseen inward thing of photosynthesis and nutrient absorbing and root system and watering. All this stuff is going on when you see the fruit. The fruit Jesus is referencing is the outward evidence of this inward life with God, the inward work of His Spirit, the inward experience of God's kingdom. Now, that's not to say that we can't fake some outward stuff. If you've been coming to church for very long, you know that there's a lot of fakers. And we can fake pious activity, and we can pretend to do stuff, and we can try to dress up the outside. That's what the Pharisees did, and Jesus said to them, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. Right, Someone came and put a pretty coat of paint on you, but inside you're just dead men's bones. So there is some you know, counterfeit activity in the world about this, but what fruit is meant to picture is the authentic transformation by the work of God's holy word and his holy spirit in the life of the Christian. It's not merely outward, it's the outward evidence of this true inward relationship with God. Romans 12 speaks of it in stark terms. I gave it to you in two different translations here because it's helpful. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Those two things in juxtaposition, going the way of the world or going the way of God's word. I like the way that NLT puts it too. Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. So this inward transformation that will have this outward evidence. Galatians 5 gets down to this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Flesh meaning sinful nature here. And the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Pause right there. That's a description of when we know the right thing to do, we want to go the way of God's word, but there's this struggle with our sinful nature. The spirit is leading us in paths of righteousness and to go the way of Christ, but we're like, ah. We talked about that last week. Those are those moments of choking the word of God. But if you're led by the spirit, verse 18, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. This is an interesting list. Look at this. Immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Stop right there. So far, those are like big ones, right? Those are gnarly. Ren, for the next service, let's move that last verse to this slide so they're on the same one. Go back one, please. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. Next one, Ren. Idolatry and sorcery. Like, oh, those are gnarly. I'm not doing those. That's what really bad people do. And then look, enmity, strife, and jealousy. It's what we all do. Look at this little Satan sandwich here. Because then it gets bad. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. Like we're all involved in this. We're like, oh, I don't like those guys. Oh, I don't go to those guys. Those guys hurt me, so I'm not gonna do that. Oh, you know, like all this stuff that happens even in the body of Christ It's in this list. And then it goes, it gets a little deeper. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Carousing is a word for orgies. So a lot of us are like, see, I don't do those things. But look at this Satan sandwich. It's like witchcraft, orgies, jealousy. The meat, the center of it is like that jealousy and envy and outbursts of anger and division, enmities, strife. And maybe you're not engaged in orgies or sorcery. What about this area? That's the area where the flesh really begins to rear its head for most of us. Of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we get back into this fruit metaphor. But the fruit, there's that imagery again, of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Hold right there, Renny. The fruit of the Spirit. Notice that it's called the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is the fruit that the Spirit works in, out, and through our lives. This is what God is always trying to do in our lives is create in us this Jesus-like experience. Because do you notice how that list is just like Jesus, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like that's, Jesus had all these things. So it's this Christ-likeness that the Holy Spirit's always trying to form in us, and it's the work of the Spirit there. We'll get to more of that in a moment. Notice it's not plural. It's not fruits of the Spirit. So you don't get to go and pick which ones you want. Like, I like oranges, but not apples. So you don't get to say, I have gentleness, but not patience. This is like a package. God's always trying to work all these things together in our lives. And we're on a trajectory, and some of us are in different places, but God's trying to work this stuff in our lives. Next verse, Renny. Now, these, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the Spirit let us also walk by the Spirit. So that's just speaking of this work in progress of sanctification, big Bible word, sanctification, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God working in us to make us more like God, more like Jesus, this inner quality, and it will bear fruit. So you don't get to say, dude, I'm fully a Jesus follower and then not have any outward evidence of it. There can be some faking of it. There's lots of those, and Jesus will talk about that in a few weeks here. There can be lots of faking of it. But there's always going to be evidence of this inward work of grace, sometimes to varying degrees. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. There's always going to be this evidence. Look what it says in Colossians 1. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. There's the goal. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Transferred, transformation language, bearing fruit, living. There's that desire, living in a way that we want to please the Lord in all that we do. Experiencing dissonance in that, but the good soil is willing to go God's way. And what that ultimately looks like is us having a greater semblance of being a more faithful picture of the person of Jesus. Where that's the goal of sanctification, Christ's likeness in us. We can talk about that in a few different ways. We could talk about the way that Jesus thought, the way that Jesus felt, and the way that Jesus acted. Okay, thinking, feeling, and acting. Just put them all up there for me, Renny, would you? Thinking. Think about how Jesus thought. Jesus saw life life as intimacy with and obedience to the Father and his mission. That was like His, his paradigm, right? What was Jesus all about? Intimacy with the Father and obedience to the Father and engagement with his mission. That was this whole thing. So the work of sanctification in us is going to cause us to be more concerned with thinking that way. What, what, what's your current paradigm? Your current paradigm might be like pleasing myself or just making more money or just holding on and getting through or just climbing up the... What is it? But this is paradigm shift. This is transformation. This is fruit. Jesus saw life as intimacy with, with and obedience to the Father and His mission. How did Jesus feel? It's weird to talk about it this way, but I think we could honestly say that Jesus felt compassion and mercy toward people, and he also felt a deep sense of righteousness and truth, obviously. And Jesus was so good at balancing those. We're not often that good at balancing them. Compassion and mercy, righteousness and truth. Think about the issues of our day. Think about issues that are in the newspaper every day recently, like the refugee issue and abortion. Think about that. Think about how Jesus had mercy and compassion and righteousness and truth and righteous indignation in the face of untruth. And we often sort of err on one side. The work of the Spirit in us, being conformed to the image of Christ, looking more like Jesus, is being more compassionate and more merciful and more concerned with righteousness and truth. And it's possible to have both of those things functioning in our lives. Remember John chapter 1 said that in the incarnation, God brought us in Jesus grace and truth. Both of those. And then what about the way that Jesus acted? Well, self-sacrificially. And you want the way of the cross, self-sacrificially in going the way of the cross. And those previous two, the way that we think and feel, are going to form the way that we act. The way that we think is going to form the way that we feel is going to form the way that we act. And so if we begin to shift our paradigm by the work of the Holy Spirit in us to see life as intimacy with the Father and obedience to the Father and engagement in His mission, then these Evidences of fruit, compassion, mercy, righteousness, and truth are going to flow forth from our lives and ultimately manifest themselves in living more self-sacrificially. That's what Jesus did. And in going the way of the cross. Man, a couple years ago, I was really struggling with some ego stuff, but I'm fully beyond that now. I don't... don't Fully sanctified beyond all ego. And... I was, as I told you before, I journal all the time. I was just journaling about it. And I found that what I was doing primarily was making decisions according to my ego as they pertain to different people or what I was doing. So I I wasn't aware of it. The Holy Spirit was bringing it to light. But I I, I would just decide stuff according to what's going to make me look better? What's going to make me bigger? What's going to advance my agenda? What's going to help me get more of me in the stuff I want? I I didn't know it, but that was the main paradigm through which I was making decisions. And the Holy Spirit in a season of his grace and love and mercy revealed that to me. And I... I, Yeah, like, duh, I should have seen that. Probably all you guys saw We wanted you to see that, Pastor Britt. (laughs) But when I saw that, the Spirit told me one day when I was journaling... It seems so messy to me. How do I like begin to make right decisions and work my way out of this? And he just said to me, in every decision, go the way of the cross. In other words, what is going to cost you? What has the potential to decrease you and your influence? What is going to be for the benefit and the preference of others? What is the way of self-sacrifice rather than the way of ego? And it was a time in life where we just had to make lots of hard decisions about, everything. And that was so helpful to me. Just go the way of the cross. And then I was journaling a few weeks later. I I needed even more help. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just said to me, whatever hurts your ego the most, do that. The way of the cross. And those were some, looking back, those were some of the best decisions I ever made. Maybe some of the only good ones I ever made. But that's the work of the Spirit in us. And the, this work of fair, fruit bearing, excuse me, or harvest producing, is both a sovereign work of God and our submission to Him. It's both and right in First Corinthians three seven. It says about these things: It is God who causes the growth, as it pertains to the gospel and the kingdom and God's word. It's God who causes the growth. God is sovereign. And then it says in whatever verse I have next in my notes. Oh, gosh, it's a big one. Paul's prayer here for the church in Ephesus. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. See who the onus is on? Like this is the work of God. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it's too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Look at verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work Within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I live in the foothills of Carpinteria, and around our home are orchards, avocado orchards, and lemon orchards, and oranges, and all these different things. It's a really cool thing. And what I notice being surrounded by orchards is that it's really, really quiet. If you ever go into the middle of an orchard, and you could do this here in Carpentry, easy to do, right? Avocado capital of the world. Go jump a fence somewhere, go into the middle of an orchard. <laughs> I didn't say that. Go into the middle of an orchard, sit down and listen. You know what you'll never hear? You'll never hear the trees groaning and moaning to produce fruit. There is some unseen force that causes this little twig to explode with some sort of power that grows in this crazy way and becomes this big, and juicy thing. And you never hear the trees, oh, oh, oh. they don't have to do it. There's some other force at work there. And so it's meant to be in the life of the Christian. We're supposed to lean into the work and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit and let Him work this in and through us. But that does mean submission to it. That is good soil stuff. It does mean agreeing with God's work. We do play a role. We're to give ourselves to it. That's a work of hearing and understanding, of intentionality, of God-word focus. Philippians 2 says... Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Pause right there. Another translation says, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation, right? It's saying let the results of your salvation show themselves with deep reverence and fear to God. For, look at the balance now, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what he pleases. So what is the hard work? The hard work is just going God's way. The hard work is just keeping that soil soft and supple and receptive so that those nutrients of God's truth, that water that is God's spirit, that sunlight from Jesus are all causing us to bear fruit. The working hard part is that hearing, understanding, going God's way because God is working hard in us why sometimes we feel conviction and unction and calling God's heart at work in us. And the hard work part of the Christian is just to keep that soil cultivated and amended in response to God's word. Good soil may at one time have been hard, but it was broken up. It was plowed up. Good soil may have one time been full of rocks, but there was stone removal that happened through confession and repentance. Good soil might have been full of thorn bushes that choked out the tender things that were coming up, but someone came along and pulled all the weeds and gave that tender work of God space and place to grow. That has to do with God's truth, with God's word and our posture Before God's word. Here's how I'll finish. And you know what that means when a preacher says that. Our posture before God's word. And God himself. I have a couple of couplings here. A couple of pairs of right posture before God's word. And then some samples of that from Psalm 119. Uh, The first one is the posture of seeking and expecting. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier when I was helping my son, you know, realize, like, what what do you expect from God? What, What do you want God to do up at camp? We are to have, if we're to cultivate good soil, a posture as it pertains to God and his truth of seeking and expecting. Look what the psalmist said. I rise up early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. They're seeking, right? The first thing that he did in the day was seek after God and his truth and invite God into his hard places. I cry out for help. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. Imagine how that might change your life. Anybody here stay up at night thinking about other stuff? Ever? Oh, so many of us, man. We need to form like a Christian sleep club and pray for each other. Something... (laughs) Gosh, just tossing and turning and all the stuff going through my mind. But but look at the seeking posture of the psalmist. Yeah, I'm up at night, but I'm meditating on your promise. Help us to do that, Lord. In your faithful love, O Lord, hear my cry. Let me be revived by following your regulations. There's that expectation. Let me be revived by following your your regulations, that expectation that going God's way and God's word and God's truth is going to be good for us. It's going to bring us out of those barren, scorched, dry places into a place of being revived. Now, the next posture or coupling of before the Lord is asking and intending. Good soil has a posture of asking and intending. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall observe them to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all of my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Asking and intending, asking God to do this work, intending to respond to God as he does it. And let's see what's next here. Experiencing and remembering is another important posture for good soiled hearts. Look what the psalmist says. I walk in freedom because I've devoted myself to your commandments. Think about that. Pause right there for a moment. Remember that lie of the world that I brought up earlier? We just think if we get more of our way, that's going to be more of what freedom is. But if we find the more that we go that way, our lives become hemmed in with the results of our bad choices and the brokenness of our sin and all the deceit that we have to live in and all this stuff. The psalmist came to some realization at some point in his life. He said, I'm actually going to experience freedom when I start going the way of your truth, God. I walk in freedom because I devoted myself to your commandments. Then he says, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I'm always thinking of your laws. I'm even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. All teenagers think that first part, but not the, they don't do the second part. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. Right? Experiencing and remembering. They're sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. That's someone who has really experienced the fruit of of truth absorbed into one's roots and leaves and inner system. And the final coupling of postures before God, repenting and returning. I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. Gosh, Lord, help us do that now before things get out of control. I pondered the way of my life. And at some point, the psalmist said, I'm not going the right way. I'm not using the right paradigm here. I'm not thinking correctly about these things. I'm not going God's way. I'm going to turn and go God's way. God always gives us the opportunity to turn toward him. Today is the day to turn to God. I pondered the direction of my life, and I turned to follow your laws. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Evil people try to drag me into sin, but I'm firmly anchored to your instructions. How good is that? That's always going to be true. It's not just going to be evil people. It's going to be the evil message of this world and the flow of culture and all these other things and the enemy himself, but I'm firmly anchored to your instructions. And then I think that when we have these postures before God and God's word, God's truth, then we can expect something Really beautiful from God in the hard times. Look what the psalmist says here. This is God's rescuing. After all that he said, toward the end of the psalm, he says, I've wandered away like a lost sheep. Pause right there. Isn't that almost surprising? Because you hear the psalmist who's like, I've declared in my heart I'm going to obey you in everything and your word is the best and I believe your ways and I'm going your ways and it's sweet, it's like honey. And toward the end he says, oh, I've wandered. He's just like us. This is so human. This is so much as, uh, of our experience. But, but look what the good soil does and can expect from God. Come and find me because I've not forgotten your commands. I still know right from wrong. But gosh, God, I'm struggling. You know, the spirit and the flesh. I love this honest prayer. Come and find me. Maybe that's your prayer today. God, just come and find me. God hears that prayer. God hears that prayer. And this is what receptive good soil looks like. Just cultivation, responsiveness, being willing to repent. And that's the heart that experiences that fruit that looks like Jesus, thinking, feeling, and acting. So here's how we'll end with a little prayerful, sort of mental exercise for you guys. Uh, Maybe by now you've started writing things down in church. Maybe you haven't. But if if you do or if you haven't, I want you to just identify places in your life where there is fruit, evidence of God's work. So we'll just take a minute and do that and then I'll have a second little exercise. Like maybe you'll just do it mentally. Maybe you came with someone and you're in love. I see my friends right here so clearly in love. Don't look, don't look. You'll embarrass them. (laughs) Maybe you guys want to talk to each other. Maybe you're here with someone that you're close to and you want to talk to each other. Uh... You know, not bragging, but just like honest, like, gosh, I see this fruit in my life of God's work. Like how I shared with you, like the Holy Spirit showed me, gosh, all your decisions are about your ego. Make some formed like the cross. Like that's, that's fruit that God was leading me in that. So write some evidence of fruit in your life. Maybe you've gotten freedom in this area or maybe this addiction has been broken, whatever. Maybe you're forgiving this person. Just go ahead and write some down or think about them for just a second. Holy Spirit, if anyone's having trouble just like seeing fruit in their lives, help them, any that are your followers. You're the one who searches our hearts and minds. Help us to see the good work that you've done in us. Now just thank God for that. Just in your heart, in your own voice, out loud if you want, just thank God and rejoice for his work of grace in you. Thank you, God. God, we know that these things are a work of grace, of your mercy in us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit working in us to make us more like Jesus in these areas. Help us to continue to go in that way. Now, I want you to just think about any areas in your life where um, there's an apparent lack of fruit. So maybe it looks like those previous soils, maybe it's a place of hardness, maybe it's an area of stony ground, maybe there's some thorny stuff that's choking out the word, but there ought to be some some fruit there, there ought to be some transformation for the glory of God there. Just think about that for a moment, try to identify any of those places. Holy Spirit, help any of us who are followers of Jesus who maybe can't see some places. Maybe there's some blind spots. Maybe there's some areas that are so hard or, or stones that are so deeply concealed or little tender shoots that are so far underneath the weeds. We just we just can't see those places. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are the one who searches our hearts and our minds. Help us to see those places that need to be brought into obedience and under the power of Jesus. And I'll just close this in prayer now. We, Holy Spirit, we invite you into those places. And we ask that you, you would sovereignly come and do a work there of grace that would bear fruit for the glory of mm-hmm. Jesus. We thank you for the good fruit that is in our lives, for the evidence that we could see of the work of your grace. We say together that it's not us, it's Jesus. Not to us, not to our name, but to your name belongs all the praise and the glory. Thank you for your mercy to bear fruit in our lives. And we just ask in those places where we need work, that you'd work now, you'd work today, you'd work going forward. We rejoice in Jesus, our Savior, who loved the Father perfectly, obeyed the Father entirely, sacrificed himself completely for us. Thank you, Jesus, that all of our righteousness is in you, that you are our representative before the Father, that our lives are hidden in you. Thank you that in the places where we rebel and sin and fail, there is mercy and grace and compassion from the Father for us in Christ. Help us to experience the Father's love and mercy. Help us to cultivate the soil of our hearts, to be open and soft and supple to you, God. We want to want you more. We've tasted of you. It's both satisfied us and made us hungry for more. Do a good work in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.